Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paul. I'm doing well. Doing really well. How you doing this week? Not too bad. Fantastic. Uh, another week uh, trying to fight through... Uh, Work and, 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 and kids and, and everything else, just trying to keep sane, paying some bills. Uh, that was a big event this week. Just a few bills came in, jumping in, getting them paid uh, electronically and such. How was your week? It was good. It was busy. Uh, it, it's funny you bring up bill paying. I tried your uh, toxic waste method, Paul, around uh, as soon as things come in, just pay it instead of the due date. And I got so confused and messed up on my schedule and everything. I, I couldn't do it that way. I went, back to my, I went back to my normal method. I was getting all messed up. What bills do what day? I have everything. It's set. I have my routine. I can't do it that way. I tried, but I did try. No, that's very cool. I mean, once again, we, we've said this on the podcast before. Personal finance is very personal. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of rhythms. I remember growing up, there was bill night. Um, in the kitchen table with my parents, right? And and we all knew to go play in the other room, right? It was always a disaster. It always erupted into arguments coming out of that kitchen. Um, but but That's it is funny. funny. I remember something similar. I yeah. remember my parents would, you know, that was the night they would write the checks and yeah. balance the checkbook and everything. Like, oh wow. Yeah, it was wow. a big big thing. And and I remember like, oh, just give just just give them twenty bucks, right? The, you know, uh, the, they'll you know the, they'll wait for our money. You know, like it was just very interesting. I remember looking back. So I I don't know what instilled in me, but. I was also, also I was also taught not to leave a lot of money in your checking account. That was a no-no. You always leave just enough to pay your bills. But I learned over time, and I think that's how I got into the rhythm of just getting the stuff paid as it came in uh, for me. It makes it easier to spend, you know, a couple of seconds, especially in the electronic age, right? Um, I think when I was cutting checks years ago, um, I went more towards that method of of sitting and waiting and doing it all in one shot. But I think nowadays um, I keep enough float in all the checking accounts because number one, you don't make any interest on your money anymore unless right. you're investing. There's no sense in keeping in a bank account. When I was a kid, I used to get five and a quarter percent on my paper out money, which is a dream compared to today, right? So it doesn't really matter. So I just leave the money and leave enough float in the checking so things could get paid immediately. And we've built up enough float in there where no matter what happens, we are able to pay off and pay off the stuff. Um, a few years ago, it was a little dicey. Uh, I had to work through that method a little closer. I know we're getting way off topic with the introductions, but um, I had to work that method a little closer because uh, we were running out of money <laughs> in the joint checking uh, a little sooner than than we anticipated. So, um, but you know, it ebbs and flows, right? Life ebbs and flows. So, you know, right now, thank God, thankful, grateful. Bills come in. I pay them, I go in, you know, I put them, you know, pay them on online through my electronic bill pay through the website. Then I go to my Quicken. I drop the uh, amount into the Quicken registry and then I go into my spreadsheet for the month um, to track it there on a monthly basis. So that's kind of my methodology. But to wrap that very long intro up, um, <laughs> it's very it's very personal, right? So your way versus my way versus Ken's way versus Jody's way, um, I think they all have merit as long as the bills get paid. 
Right. As long as you're not accumulating debt. That's right. I think that's the key. I think that's the key. So um, so today's topic, we'll jump in, uh, general, generational wealth. What is it? Managing it and building it. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story uh, is from NBC News, and the headline is How One Mother is Building Generational Wealth for Her Young Son. From survival mode to thriving and saving, Janessa Jones has been working to make sure her young son is set up for the future. I thought this was a, an amazing story. Um, you know, if you look at the, the picture, it's, it's mom with her son walking through graduation. Very touching and very powerful message overall, right? For her, she's looking to give her son uh, a leg up on his future, right? One that she didn't have, right? So if you read, you know, when I was reading the article, um, it, it talked about some of the racial divide and stuff, which is very important, but I, I don't want to touch upon that at this point. It, it's not really a political show. I was more focused on the, on the building of the wealth itself and why to do it. So it was a really good story around why you want to be able to do generational wealth and, and give your future generation a leg up on, on what you had previous and what they, you know, what the previous generation had. Um, in terms of uh, one of the methods they said in there, which I'm just going to call out, they talked about getting a good term life insurance policy. I think you need that regardless, but I wouldn't say that that's a generational wealth building tool. We talk about term life versus whole life in different podcasts over the last couple of years. And term life insurance is really meant to be something that when you hit a certain point, you don't need it anymore, and you should be working towards not worrying about term life. If you're lucky enough to have term life before you pass, that's great, especially you get into your older age. But I know once you get into your 60s, your 70s, term life insurance becomes really expensive. I don't know if it's worth maintaining. So that's probably for another whole podcast. But what was your take on this story, Paul? So uh, the, my, my big take on this story was uh, really around the one of the key phrases they said at the top was the first step she made was getting educated and having discussions about the money, you know? Um, and, and to me, I think everyone listening here, that that is part of that, that journey. It's an educational process to learn these things and what's out there and, and just educate yourself. So that, that was the biggest sort of takeaway from me was was that. And, yeah, of course, the insurance was an interesting angle. And I agree with you on term. Term is there to solve a particular, let's call it existential threat, right? You may be, a, you have term because you want to put the kids through college. And if something happens before they're done with that, you know, that that's your focus for term. But where whole life is is a very different tool. So that yeah, was my, my two cents on that one there. Very cool. Very cool. And the second story was a little more technical in nature. Uh, it's from SeekingAlpha.com. Compounding, the massive power of time and building generational wealth. So reading through this story, the focus was really on the math behind it. And, and I'm not sure how the math holds up today as opposed to 20 years ago. I think with interest rates and some of the different investment options that people have today, it's gotten pretty uh, crazy in terms of the returns. You really have to fight for those returns. You have to fight for 4%. You have to fight for 8%. And I know there will be plenty of uh, financial experts out there that will dispute me, but 
I'm not quite sure. I mean, over the last 10, 15 years, you know, like we were saying at the top of the podcast, you know, interest rates on your bank account are less than a percentage point where they used to be 5%, right? So the truth is, you know, investing into your future, you have to do it very carefully and you have to do it methodically. And for me, the takeaway from the story, and, and maybe it wasn't embedded into the story, but my advice based on my reading the story is I think it's more important to save than to invest. I think there's more power in putting that money away on a regular basis than investing, or there got to be at least equally as valuable, right? I could tell you from a college savings perspective for my kids, um, I was pleasantly surprised at this point in time, knock wood, the 529 plans have, have grown, but not grown as much as they probably could have 20 years ago. And when I say they've grown, I think the, the predominant growth has been in me putting the money in each and every year on a steady basis. And yes, I'm happy with the return. I'm happy I did get some return out of it. Um, but it, it's not gangbusters return, right? There's no doubling of, of, of uh, double-digit returns on my investment there. Um, so, so, Paul, what was your take on this story? So th- this one also it was kind of cool because uh, the example they give about uh, the grandfather showing, you know, putting a CD away, you know, putting money away in a CD and then the interest on that over the five years. I, I had a similar story where uh, I don't know if I was the same age as this individual when they were 10 or 11 years old when they learned about it. and probably wasn't that far off. And, you know, understanding the compounding interest and how it does work and help over time. And while you're right, Paul, you have to fight for your returns you know, just keeping it just in a bank account gets you absolutely really nothing, right? So doing something is better than nothing with it. It just depends on your risk tolerance, right? CD, very safe, insured. Okay, as long as it's with an FDIC-insured bank. Just leaving it in your checking account or your savings account yields nothing, so or virtually nothing. So it really depends, but um, the the compounding interest was really uh, an eye opener for me when I was much younger, and it, it hit me again later in life. And uh, so I, I, you know, gravitate towards this type of article because I do think it can show the power of money, and by doing something with it over time can really have a huge impact on you, and, and that's actually how I think. You know, I can help some my my two kids with generational wealth. Yeah, and I think the compounding is interesting because I see it when I look at the compounding. I looked at it from the negative side, from my mortgage. So the you know mm. the, the the sooner I pay the mortgage, the less interest I'm going to pay, right? So it has that yes. reverse effect. So that was kind of the motivating factor the other way when it came to compounding interest because you know it it could be about investment, but it could be about the cost of money as well. And and people will cite uh, you know, uh, different, different opinions on those pieces, but I kind of saw the, the math that way as well, where compounding interest could, you know, could hurt you over time as well. Right. So I'm interested to hear, and maybe I missed that in the story with the, what was the interest rate on the CD that the grandfather had? Oh, it was, um, he said it was many years ago. Hold oh, on. I was going to say, because right now CDs, I know I tried to do a CD 6%. ladder. A CD ladder was was yielding 1.25%. Yeah. No, this was a long time ago. <laughs> this was a, a 6% yield about. 
So, which obviously doesn't happen, as you said, in the last 15 years, 20 years, probably 15 years. Um, hasn't. We haven't seen that. I haven't seen that since my paper out days, right? I remember putting $1,000 in the bank into a CD at 6%, and I think it yielded 60 bucks for the year, which was pretty cool. It was one yeah. week's paper out money when you think yeah. about it, right? So, like, it was pretty interesting, the returns that you used to get. Um, now I'm going, we're going down memory lane, but that's why I think, you know, uh, today's topic is, probably, is kind of timely because you really have to fight for those returns and really have to focus on the generational wealth to kind of and, and focus on building. Right. I think that's part of the key here. But we'll jump into the topic. Right. Which is the generational wealth. Uh, what is it managing it and building it? Um, and, you know, kind of dig into there. We'll go through the discussion topics. Um, and for me. Uh, kind of jumping in. Um, I don't have any to manage. <laughs> so for me, it's starting from ground zero. Um, um, for me, it's about building generational wealth from this point onward for my kids. That's been my focus. So I'm just purely focused on having something at the end that my kids can grab from me and move forward with. So that's kind of been my focus. And I had a very interesting conversation. And Paul, I had forwarded you. I, I think I wrote two or three pages worth of notes on this. I had a really good conversation with my buddy Hunter. And I remember we were sitting, God, we were sitting in White Plains, New York, on a bench <laughs> and just talking about generational wealth. And he's he's uh, a bit younger than me. Uh, and, and, you know, reasonably newly married and we were both talking about the same thing and, and he was in the same boat as me where it starts here and, and talking about some of the books he's been reading about investing and, and, and the compounding effect and, but compounding effect by investing into, I think the more risky stuff, right? Equities, stocks, mutual funds, right? Dollar cost averaging into the S and P 500 fund with a very long-term outlook, not touching the money, but also being able to balance uh, life's events, right? Buying a house, buying a new car, having kids while putting all that money away where you still need to take that money out. So it was a fascinating conversation. So for me, it was purely focused on building it from this point forward. Uh, Paul, what, what's your t- what was your what's your situation when it comes to this? Uh, I'm really not that different from you, Paul, right? I, you know, I'm fortunate. Uh, my parents are still with me, and uh, my in-laws are still with my with us. So, you know, that there is no real generational wealth or anything. Uh, we're trying to build it ourselves, and we're trying to see, you know, different ways we can help our kids so they are, they do have that leg up. If you're referencing the first article, that woman, right? She just wants to help her kids, and that, that's really no different than than most of us. We want the best for our kids. We want to give them the opportunities and, and chances and um, hopefully not have to struggle. So if we can help in that fashion, that's what we can do. And uh, I came up, e- even recently, I came up with an idea that uh, my older one, he's going to start his job, I think probably in the summer or so, he accepted it for. And, you know, coming right out of college, you don't always make that much money. But yet... The best way I think I can help him with generational wealth is, you know, where he's going to be living, you know, not near us. So he's going to have to have an apartment and everything's going to be on his own. And that, as you know, eats into your savings quite significantly or your 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 take home pay, I should say. Well, how can I help him? So I, uh, 
you know, this is just an idea, not that I'm doing it. So if you're listening, that doesn't mean I'm doing it. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, well, what if I say give him a few hundred bucks a month towards his 401k? So say he puts in, you know, 400 bucks or 500 bucks, you know, a, a month towards his 401k now when he's just starting out, whatever it is. Well, if I maybe I give him half of that or, or something like that to help match it and ease the burden of that money coming out now. So this way he still has access to it and he can put that much away then versus needing it for rent and food. And by putting that away at the start of your career, when you do the compounding math on it long term, that will have a huge impact on him. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. Right. And if you could afford to do it, Paul, that's great. I think that's awesome. I think I think but I think your kids, though, knowing you and your wife, I think they're going to learn by example. I think your kids have been watching you uh, and your wife for many years. Right. Uh, since they were born. Right. And and I think they see the way you live your life. And, and, and hopefully a lot of that has rubbed off on them, which would be interesting, um, you know, which I'm hoping the same for my kids, um, you know, when my kids are of age to, to kind of break it out on their own. But I think that's a great idea, right, to kind of instill that matching uh, and contribute contributing to their success, right, where if they're putting dollar for dollar, um, I think that used to be a big thing with the cars, right? I knew I had friends that uh, their parents would say, hey, if you put in a thousand, I'll put in a thousand, I'll match you dollar for dollar up to a certain amount to buy a car, right? Right. And, and um and so I know that's something that's uh, that, that. So that's a, that's it's some along the same lines. Um, so I think that that's a pretty cool concept. If you can uh, do that for your kids, that would be awesome. Um, in terms of the uh, definition of the generational wealth, right? So I think in one of the articles it talks about it, right? Generational wealth is assets such as a house, savings, investment accounts that can be passed down to one's family member, and generally continue to benefit them over time, right? So very great definition. So I just stole it right from the article. Um, yeah, and I think it sums it up pretty succinctly, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, for my kids, I'm hoping that there is some sort of house and savings. I hope that in the end, everything will be structured so there's no fighting over what's left. And hopefully there will be some something left, I hope. Right. I hope. That's my goal. That was always been my goal is to leave them something. Um, so Paul, what, what's your take when it comes to the generational wealth? Does that definition fit what your, what your thinking is? Anything to add to that? It's an interesting definition. Yeah. It, I mean, it does summarize it really well, but I think you have to have your own definition of what it is. You know, is it, you know, in my mind, I always had like an X dollar amount this way they can, you know, split that and then quite honestly, be, be set or be okay themselves with, with, and it would help them significantly. You know, that's sort of my definition. You know, I, I never really included uh, the real estate part of it, but yes, it is because the house is worth something, hopefully, right, at that time. So, yeah, when you, when you pull it all together and then split it, in my case, in half, right, okay, there, there you go. And something is going to be better than nothing, but you also have to be careful, Paul. Uh, you said it in our last podcast, too. Like You can't put away so much in your own retirement that you have nothing to live on. And the same is true here. You can't worry so much about them in that sense that 
you can't afford yourself. Yeah, it's a great so. call out because I was going to add to that that you never know what's going to happen, right? There's a lot of stories out there. I'm not saying it would happen to you or myself, but there there is a lot of times where you just don't know the future, right? You, you know, you, you so, you know, hypothetically, I could be sitting on, you know, X amount of dollars that could be eaten up by incredible medical costs, could be eaten up by some sort of incredibly toxic or, you know, some situation that would just drain the accounts. Yeah. Right. It can happen, right? And people say, well, I got the money put away and this and that. And, and I don't know, right? Like, I, I don't know. I think it, it's always rolling the dice out there in life. And, and so I like your methodology where you're teaching the kids to be more, you know, self-sufficient, right? And if there is generational wealth at the end, it's a good bonus for them to have. But um, you also have to make sure your kids are not dependent upon that amount because it could lead, you know, it could be problematic, right? If it's not there, right? right? If they're depending upon it and it's not there, what happens, right? So I think it's a, it's a, it's a good balance, like you said. Um, well, and, and even your, your point there, Paul, you know, that when you go into, um, if you have to go to a, like a, an old age home or something or whatever, they're allowed to look back, I believe it's five years your finances, and almost claw back, right? If you got rid of it, all of a sudden you're going into a home, you, you know, they can claw back money almost. So yeah, there's a five-year look back on some of that stuff. And there are other tools you can use um, to deal with that. You need an attorney for them uh, and a really good financial planner, but you could do things like putting a home in trust. So... Say your your parents, for example, or, or something, they have the home, but they put it in trust for, say, you and your siblings. So they're still there, but it's in trust in, under your name. And yep. that changes the rules of things. But again, the federal government and state governments change the rules all the time. Yeah, we I think we did an elder care podcast at one yeah. point, Jody and I. And, and I think the big takeaway for me when it comes to elder care and, and trust and estate planning is I I need to go to an attorney to handle that, right? Because I would yep. be remiss in trying to figure out the best vehicles to, to do any kind of asset oh, protection. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, but, but yeah, the it, it gets very interesting, right? Because technically, depending on how it's viewed, they call it Medicaid protection, right? Which is supposed to not be legal <laughs> but it's kind of a it's very interesting if you read about it and i remember talking to an attorney about it um a friend of mine once kind of just in passing sort of just conversationally and it's you know it's definitely something that if the government looks back over those five years and sees that something was done that looks and smells like that it, it could be it could get very interesting right if it's done intentionally right so that's why more so than ever don't use the financial dads for your legal advice make sure no. <laughs> you go to an attorney uh, all disclaimers here um you know you make sure you go into an attorney so if you have a situation everyone's unique and you really have to take a look at what the uh structure should look like and 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 what the what you're what you're trying to do right so i think and that's i key. said that at the beginning paul i said i'm not attorney right you gotta go get <laughs> but but there are other things so uh 
someone I used to know a long time ago. I haven't talked to him. Uh, he had an interesting take on some of this, too. He would, I don't know how he did it, like, would, would buy gold, but not just paper gold. He would have some gold, I believe, coins. And then, you know, here you go. Here's kid A, here's kid B, here's kid C or whatever. You know, so something ever happened that he had gold just around. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting approach uh, to have it physically in your possession. Uh, Once again, personal finance, everyone's got their own personal take on it. Um, And I think that that's an interesting one. And I think we might have talked about gold and silver investing at one point. Um, and, And I'm not sure. I think for me, not to go off track, I think I did at one point buy a gold fund or something like that. I had it for a while. But, you know, it's a pretty... It's a that really I think comes down to timing because it always goes up and down. Like it seems like gold is either at a high or a low or a high or a low, and I guess like the stock market, right? But I'm not yeah. sure if it builds over time, right? Because it just it, it's there's nothing that's accumulating, right? It's not like a a stock where you're getting dividends and it's accumulating and it's growing. I don't think precious metals grow, right? I could be wrong on that, but you know if you have you're only going to have a certain amount of ounces, and if you paid a thousand dollars for those ounces today, and then two years from now they're worth five thousand dollars, but then three weeks ago they come down to you know, uh, or three months, you know, three years later they go down to a thousand dollars again, right? Like I don't think there's any, they're not growing. The assets are not growing, right? You're just kind of following the market with that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. That's why I thought I'd add it because it could tie into some of the generational wealth stuff. So. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think we'll try to jump into that part of it. So we talked about it a little bit, right? Like what are what, are, what is it itself, right? It could be real estate, it could be stocks and bonds, it could be gold, it could be brick and mortar business. Uh, it could be anything that has the ability to generate income on its own in a passive manner. Um, so I guess real estate's an interesting one because is it really generating income? I'm not quite sure. Uh, but but the other ones, stocks and bonds and brick and mortar businesses, there should be a return coming out of it, right? So are there any other examples that you could think of, Paul, when it comes to uh, what is you know a, a physical piece of um, generational wealth, another type of asset? Mm, no, the, my only comment on what you had just said was, does it have to generate passive income? No, it, I don't right. think it has to, right? I think okay. maybe it kind of comes out to, and it could be, it could stay the same value, I guess, like the gold example, right? Or, you know, kind of jumping into it, I, I have a good friend of mine who, after his primary mortgage was paid, um, he went and bought a summer home, a beach home in Jersey at the Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of a two birds, one stone approach, right? So he has this great beach house, that's worth and 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 he just happened to buy it at a great time, but you know it might have at one point worth quadruple what he paid for it. Now it's safely double what he paid for it, uh, if not more. Uh, but it's much more than just an asset, right? So you know the kids every summer are coming back to the beach house, and they bring their families to the beach house, right? And everyone fits snugly into the beach house, right? There's always room at the beach house, right? Uh, and and I've been there quite a few times, and it's awesome. Right. And, and he didn't buy it so much as an investment. Uh, remember when, when I was talking to him about it, he bought it for that reason. But in turn, it became an investment, not realizing yeah. it was an investment. He always wanted to have that place for the kids come back. And I remember him telling me the story that 
his wife was not totally into buying the beach house. And then I guess when the real estate boomed, I guess in the 2005, 2006, at the height of the market, this house was worth quadruple what he paid for it. And he told his wife, we're selling it. <laughs> he goes, we're getting rid of it. Right? We're getting rid of it. I'm going to pay for all the kids' college in one shot, and we're good. And she's like, no, 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 no. And, and, and she's, you know, she was the voice of reason to have him keep it, and it all worked out. To this day, his kids are now all adults. They all come back to the beach house, right? One lives in California, well, makes it back yeah. to the beach house. You know, that that's cool, right? And yeah, go ahead, Paul. To- I'm sorry. I totally agree with you. That's something I'd love to do because uh, my wife and I talk about that all the time, right? You know, having that 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 uh, center gravitational force where everyone's coming back to and you have those, make those memories, that, that that's amazing. And I, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be in a position to do that. Uh, maybe one day soon. I don't know. That'd be great. But I, I totally love that theory. And, and one other thing, Paul, as we were talking about, maybe this is my wrap-up comment, but uh, and it shouldn't be yet, but you had said something, and one of these articles said it, I think it was maybe you actually, about talking about it. And I think it was the first article, the NBC article about talking about it, educating yourself. And that really is the first step. Like you and I talk about finances all the time. Uh, I talked to another friend of mine about it. And we're not using numbers of how much we make or anything, but just talking about it with others is so powerful to get thoughts and ideas. And that that's what this whole podcast is about. But it, it's so powerful. You're not alone, right? And it's not just the, all these experts and, you know, a, a one-trick pony here. It's educating yourself by talking to others. What are they doing? What what? How does it work for them? I just wanted to circle back on that for a moment. I'm sorry before I forgot. No, no, that's great. And I'm, I'm going to extend that thought to a teachable moment, right? So I try to use okay. it with my son all the time. My daughter, not so much because she's 10, but my son, who's 16... I'm able to take some of these financial teachable moments and convey them to him and explain them to him and and talk about why this is this way or why this is that way, right? And I think that's that's an interesting approach. And I think everybody has an approach on these different things that as long as you're communicating and talking, whether it's with your kids or with others, with friends, I think it's key. Um, I think the 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 beach house thing is very interesting because I have been wanting to do something similar but not at the beach for a very long time. But just just for one reason or another, just never been able to pull it together, right? And and that's okay, right? I've had other priorities and other things going on, so I haven't been able to do something to that degree. But it would be cool to do it one day. I don't know if it's in my future at this point, right? I, I, I'd have to see. I don't know if it's going to be a secondary residence. I think it may be become the retirement residence, but you know, I think with that, it, it's 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 interesting, right? And 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 it would have to be a really cool secondary residence for my kids to want to come visit, right? Uh, and I think that's that I'm gonna have to really think about that. But I, you know, I that's probably for another podcast, right? And you know, in retirement, where do you go? Right, and I think we talked about that at one point. We did we in the did. podcast. Last time, I think, and yeah. the time before that. Yeah, I think we've <laughs> talked about that. So it could be interesting, you know. So I'll, I'll kind of you know, let you have the last word on on the whole summer home uh, and and teachable moment piece. Well, uh, the summer home, you know, I've 
sort of in the same boat as you, Paul. Again, you know, it'd be great if I could do something now. I'm not sure I really can at this point. We were thinking like, well, that's the retirement place. And in some ways, we're thinking our retirement home will actually be bigger than our current home. You know, we, we don't have that big a home now, but as you know, but something bigger to, to accommodate more. So as the kids have their own families and things like that, to make sure we have enough bedrooms and bathrooms and, and everything, because we want that to be that pull. So it's uh, that's our take on it. That's what we're thinking about. And I'll send you a link later to uh, to a site I found, uh, two properties right next to each other, four acres or so. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I was going to say post it to the Facebook page, but that would be cool no, too. No, yes, I don't yes. want to do that. <laughs> so this has been cool, right? We're talk we talked about the why and the what, right? What is generational wealth and why do you want to do it? Um and, and what are the different forms? But let's dig into the how, right? So how do you go about doing it? And I think for me at the end of the day, and I said it at the top of the podcast, I think it's a solid steady stream of savings and investing. I think that's one of the big things that you know, goes into it, um, you know, and making that plan for, for investing. Um, and, and, and for me, I added something here in the notes and I'm, I called it make a big play, right? And for me, I think the big play was doing something that would jumpstart that generational wealth. And for me, I think it's been pay off the mortgage, right? So I, I think that's enabled me to save more and accelerate my savings, hopefully, um, and we'll see how that results. Um, you know, another thing could be start a business, right? Which could be interesting. Another different approach to take uh, kind of on the big play. Um, but those are kind of the big things for me is kind of that steady savings and investing along with a big play approach. And then also, you know, having the plan and building the team, right? And we've talked about team building when it came to your financial wealth, having that winning team, an accountant a good attorney, a good insurance person, whatever those are uh, to make sure that your financial future is secure um, to have those in place. So I know I said a lot there, Paul. What's your take when it comes to how to build that generational wealth? So again, uh, you know, the savings are key and putting in away. Uh, for me, I've been focused on the 401k a lot. So your comments about making sure you can still live without putting it all in. You know, I, I'm, I'm close to that line sometimes, I feel like, Paul. But um, it is I, – because I, I think that could still transition into generational wealth. That, that's how I look at the 401K is, you know, sure, it's my, for my wife and I and everything. But it's also for um, – we look at it as potential. Well, if we do really well in that and we've been putting away a lot of money over years, well, that could be for – vacations with the family and things like that and that's the type of things that you know we we could do and it, it's almost like generation wealth but using it while we're all here to some ways giving those experiences and those the festivities or, or whatever you may as well as I, i'm still keen on the idea of helping the kids you know the dollar match sort of thing maybe in some way um to help jumpstart them again, putting that money away early is such a tremendous advantage over the course of life. Um, but you have to remember to, to to talk it out with with your your spouse and work it through and make sure you're on the same page there, because otherwise it could be a problem. No, I think that's great perspective, right? So you know, to your point, where being having the ability to pay for those weddings that may come up or contributing. 
family vacations, dream family vacations where everyone gets on the cruise ship together. I, I've seen that from afar, um, never experienced it, but it is interesting to kind of see. And I think it's great, right? Keeps the family together. And, and I hope that maybe one day I could do a couple of those things with my kids. I think that'd be very cool to kind of be able to do kind of like the massive trip or or contribute to the wedding or, or, or fund the wedding, right? Uh, so I think that's a very good perspective is don't put away all the generational wealth, right? Because you want to be able to have those uh, moments with your kids if you can, right? That that help them while you're around and, and, and help them after. So it's kind of that even split in the middle. So I think that's a pretty good uh, perspective on, on that piece. Um, I think one of the things that I wanted to kind of wrap up with was I'm going to call it generational wealth risk and I'll call it complacency um, where if people or families have too much money, it could actually have a negative effect, which I've seen firsthand um, and I won't go into detail, but I've seen it firsthand and, and, and to some degree, I almost wish uh, that I had a dear friend of mine not have as much money <laughs> as he had <laughs> available. Um, but it is what it is, right? And it's something that I think it's just it's just something that happens, right? So controlling it be very key. And I know you hear the stories about these multi-billionaires that say, you know, I'm going to leave, you know, nothing to my kids. I'm going to give it all to charity and they're going to make it on their own, right? Which I think is very extreme, but, you know, it's it's personal finance, right? They could do what they want with their money. They made it. They could dispose of it however way they want. Right. Uh, where you have others that will give everything to their kids. Right. So how do you strike that balance, Paul? I mean, what's your opinion when it comes to generational wealth does have an element of risk to it when it comes to 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 giving kids too much? You know, if you're instilling the right values in the kids throughout their life, it should be less of a problem. Um, no guarantee there. That's for sure. But, you know, whether it be you know, giving back to the community, you know, maybe you're not giving back in dollars, but you're giving back in hours now. And that could translate to dollars in the future to, to give back as well. Uh, it, it, it's really about, um, gosh, that's a tough one, Paul, right? It, I don't have that problem where no, you know, no, you don't. Your kids are awesome. Right? I don't no. I Yeah, you're you're you are definitely not in that boat, right? Your kids, you know, but I and and, and I how do I put this? I mean, we don't have that problem, right? Because right. we're building the generational wealth now, right? And we've teaching by example with our kids. And and, and so they're seeing what we're doing, right? And we're talking to our kids, do. right? So I think right. those are the three big things, right? It's teaching by example, open communication with the kids, and, and we're building the generational wealth now, right? So, you know, they're not going to, to, to grandpa for a new Porsche when they're 16, right? They're not getting that, right? right? And I get it. I understand that. Um, I think... Uh, once again, I, I've seen it, and 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 not just that one example, but I've seen it in other examples, and it really is, um, it's interesting, and and some and I think sometimes, man, it would be great to have all that money, and in the end, you think, wow, it wasn't so great having all that money. Yeah, there there is an element to that, right? I remember in high school, kids turning uh, driving age, getting you know, a Mustang GT 5.0. I'm like. Really? Holy crap! And I got my Pontiac POS over here. Uh, I paid six hundred bucks for. So, uh, you know, it, although I did have a family car too, thankfully, <laughs> that Pontiac did not last long. 
but still it is um it's all about communication and and communication with your family with the kids even when you can give them education share with them what you're comfortable with but talking to your friends as you were saying with your buddy hunter and you and i talk right and i talk with some of my other friends having that open dialogue just makes it easier to understand and um i don't have the generational wealth problem at this point so very cool. Very cool. Well, I think with that, we'll go into the summary recap, right? So for me, it was kind of two things. One is is make the big play um, or, or work on making a big play, whatever that is for you. I think uh, do one thing or focus on one thing that will help you catapult you and start you and jumpstart you for your um, for your generational wealth. And I take that back a little bit. It could be a little thing, right? If you're not investing in your 401k fully today, try to Start that up. If you're not investing at all in your 401k, listen to some of our other podcasts because it'll explain that you really do need to be investing in your 401k today. Um, and then I like your perspective, Paul, where you enjoy some of that generational wealth um, in terms of family trips or if you could afford to get the beach house or you could do something with the family. I think that's key as well. So I'm going to take that away. Paul, what's what's part of your recap for today? So I, I would agree with you, but instill the right values, communicate with everyone, and plan for today and what you're going to need. And hopefully there is stuff left over for them, but there are things you could do now to plan for the other generations. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.